If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a conceptual wonderland, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to why have Modrons always hit us a little wrong? And how can we tweak the Modrons to be more usable while staying true to their original inspirations? And what does a Modron culture believe in? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. You weren't sure for a second there? Yeah, I was undecided. <laughs> That's fair. I forgot my own name, okay? <laughs> We've been going over a lot of weird stuff to do with these little biomechanical creatures, so I don't blame you. I skip over these creatures literally every time I flip through that monster manual right in between mummies and minotaurs. There's this huge block of conceptual shit that I gotta try and... <laughs> coalesce into something that's usable and then i get about five minutes into that and i go ah fuck it i'm just gonna keep on flipping let's find something else right like here's a philosophical concept wrapped <laughs> into a <laughs> D, D monster have here's, fun i know this looks like a stat block but trust me this is about 30 hours of work <laughs> yeah <laughs> just go with the minotaur yeah that's a man with a bullhead that that'll work but there is something about them that I like. They're strange mechanical beings from a plane of pure cosmic law. Like, that gets me hooked. They're packed with mysteries of the cosmology of D&D. They introduce some fascinating ideas to be explored in our games. As far as enemies go and as far as stat blocks go, they are kind of a different concept. They're different than what you would normally throw at a party. So that's what kind of lures me every time. Right. There's a hook. It just, you have to throw it away. Like you said, five minutes in. And I think that the underlying problem there is that as DMs for any creature, we really just need to know how they think and how they act. What they did with the Modron is just pack in more and more lore that confuses the shit out of me every time I read it. They skipped over the thinking and acting and went to, what if there was a plane of whatever? What I would give to be in the writer's room for that particular monster. Like, if I had a time machine, I would go back and I would fix that moment. <laughs> to think about how they approach that, you know, the writer is sitting in there and was like, how about this? A realm of pure law, mechanists, a city on floating massive cogs. Neat, but what can you do there? I don't know, but how about a map of these floating massive cogs? That doesn't really do much for me. Can you please <laughs> uh, give me something useful about mechanists? Yeah, okay, here, I got you. I got rigid hierarchies. I know every single... So monodrones are uh, controlled by duodrones, which are then controlled by tridrones, and I, I know exactly how many of each type there are. Okay. If you needed to know, there's six million. That, I mean, the, I probably just need to know about about 12 of them, but like, how do they behave? How does one of those 6 million behave? Okay, but did you did you notice that the numbers of each type is based on math? Okay, but how do they behave? That's neat. That's fun. The, but okay, how well, do... There's a massive march, 
every 289 years called the Great Modron March. Okay, something they're doing. That's pretty cool. Why? Why are they marching? It's mysterious. No one knows. But you are supposed to tell me, the DM, why. And then I keep the mystery. You don't keep the mystery from me. And why 289? Should my party stop this march? Can they impact it at all? Or is it just a wave? They emerge from a great pool at the center of Mechanus. Why? Like eels? Like an eel pool? Wouldn't they be built since they're like machines? Okay, but sometimes they freak out and they go rogue. How does that suit you? Okay, uh, that sounds potentially useful, but these rogues, why do they go rogue? And what do they want now? Nobody knows. You have to. You have to know. (laughs) And then you tell me. And before you tell me that they shit cog nuts into some decogulator that feeds the nut birds of Mechanus, <laughs> that does not help. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's exactly the problem that we're trying to like. That's what I hear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that was actually pretty good. I liked that. <laughs> uh, that's exactly how that conversation went. And. And that I, I, happens every time I look through that lore. <laughs> In my head. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just get more and more frustrated as I read the lore. But I, some Planescape purist is probably going to help us with this problem. If you are a Planescape purist, please hop into our Discord and tell us why Modrons are so freaking good or explain to us what yeah. we're clearly missing. How you've used them that's actually impressed your party and has made a really cool game. That being said, we're going to fuck with some Modrons. So if you are a purist, you may want to skip this episode. I don't know. (laughs) Or listen to it so you can blast us later. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever gets you going. That being said, the only reason we're doing this episode is because we do feel like there is a kernel within there that's really goddamn good. Absolutely. The original inspirations for Modrons is pretty awesome. That's what we're going to start with this episode is from some of the inspiration, namely Flatland. Right, that's the biggest one. That's the one that actually inspired these creatures. It's Edwin Abbott's book from 1984 about the perils of sexism, classism, and Victorian culture. And then we're going to roll in this really odd story that Jordan and I read a number of years ago about a man meeting God on a train who's just really a hyper-evolved form of life. And that really kind of clicked with Modron's for us for some reason, and we'll explain why. <laughs> and then, of course, ants, because of their hierarchical and mathematical nature is so similar to the Modron. The best ideas that I've ever seen for running Modrons is really just throwing them in as a random encounter. You know, you come across them on a road and they're counting stones for some weird reason. And if your players pull on that thread, you are screwed you have you have begun to unravel the massive Persian rug that is like you're gonna have to just continually, yeah, figure shit out. Keep building on that because like you better start your campaign with this moment. That's yeah. not a random encounter. <laughs> no, that will derail anything you have planned. And Mechanus better be at the core of your campaign because otherwise it's gonna be really hard to ham fist these little dudes in there. And at best, your party just goes. Weird. 
<laughs> okay, I guess we'll get back to it. Cool and weird. All right, let's go back to our quest. So in this episode, we're going to figure out how the hell to RP these creatures. We're going to figure out what their purpose in the universe actually is and how to fold them into your setting. And then we want to figure out how to help your players have fun with them. So let's get into the kinship camp, build out their culture, and figure this stuff out. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventures around the safety of the fire. So let's talk about Flatland. I uh, powered through this little novella in preparation for this episode. And you can too. It's not that long. No, and it's it's free. You can just Google it. <laughs> like, Google Flatland. Have a good read. Yeah. Apparently stuff in the 1880s is not uh, <laughs> making anybody a profit anymore. <laughs> but somehow still relevant. <laughs> yeah. Which is a little frightening. Right. So the way this book is introduced is Flatland. It's through the eyes of a resident of Flatland. And Flatland is a two-dimensional reality. Just flat. It's yeah. a plane. That's it. And all of the citizens are polygonal shapes with more sides inferring greater status within the society. So like a triangle has less prominence in society than a square. Right. All the way up to a circle, which is the highest you can get. Yeah. The circles are considered priests in their society. And, you know, they've got an indistinguishable number of sides and they can just keep getting more and more advanced. If we're thinking about a 2D plane. Right. Yeah. So I can see exactly the parallels, like what D&D drew from Modrons, from Flatland. Totally. And this whole book is written from the perspective of a square mathematician in this world. And he's speaking to his audience of three-dimensional beings. So it's actually directed at us. That's some meta shit back in 1884. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Some of the plot points, at one point, he has a vision of coming across a one-dimensional being from a one-dimensional reality in which citizens are lines of varying length that can only move forward or backward on a line. So the whole world is just one line. This is this level of, like, confusion and, like, otherworldliness that we need to somehow figure out how to convey with Mechanus. Absolutely. And as he's in this world, he's only perceived as a line by the line that he's speaking to. And upon trying to explain that he is actually a being from the second dimension. Who the... has four sides instead yeah. of one single line. <laughs> the line he's speaking to is totally unable to grasp this concept until it attacks him out of fear and confusion. This is that level of otherworldliness that was pretty well captured, I feel, in The Watchmen from Dr. Manhattan when he's like in the bedroom with his wife and then she finds out that he's also like outside doing work <laughs> and it's just like what the actual fuck yeah but that's that like reality bending kind of stuff stuff that we can't quite pinpoint what's happening but it's something greater than our ability to comprehend so to say to a one-dimensional line hey i've got like three other lines that are a part of me and it's like wait what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> there's only lines <laughs> There's only one line. No, no, I've got three more that are still attached to me. And you're just like, no, I can't, I can't, I can't. <laughs> and so this book, it keeps trying to hammer down this concept because the next interaction he has is with a three-dimensional being, a sphere that comes into his 
two-dimensional reality, appearing as a circle. And this creature, of course, tries to explain the third dimension to the square. The square goes through the same lack of comprehension that the line did. Even though he understands the concept, right. still doesn't get it. Or he tries another line of thinking with the fact that a point, zero dimensions, has zero sides. A line, one dimension, has two sides. A square, two dimensions, has four sides. Therefore, me, or you, if you were in three dimensions, a cube, three dimensions, has six sides. To which, of course, the square responds, Monster, be thou juggler, enchanter, dreamer, devil, no more will I endure thy mockeries. <laughs> Either thou or I must perish. Wow, dramatic. <laughs> yeah, which I like that because it just hones in on the fact that when we don't understand something, we want to destroy it, essentially. Yeah. Stupid monkey brains. This is going to be awesome because when our players first encounter our Modrons, they're not going to behave in the way that they want to. And players are going to do what <laughs> players do and attack the things that they don't understand. Yeah, probably because they're doing something that could be suspicious or fishy. This kind of ties into what you're talking about with the Watchmen because the sphere then tries to prove it by pulling things out of the square's house, out of his locked safe. Because... The sphere can see the entire two-dimensional plane at once. <laughs> it sees inside the safe yeah. and picks it out and then puts it back down on the outside of the safe. And he yeah. even goes so far as to poke the square in the stomach, his insides, which is confusing and painful <laughs> and so unsettling. Okay. So the, the next piece that really kind of resonated with Jordan and I for the Modrons specifically was this short story called Talking to God by Harry Stottle. You can just Google this story and you could read it for yourself. It really isn't all that long. But in it, the story proposes that God is a very highly evolved life form that started off similar to humans. There's lots of really clever writing in this story. But in essence, this creature is so highly evolved, it does not interfere because the life cycle of most civilizations, most planets, that develop some form of life, they must get through these barriers of their own evolution. So starting from a single-celled life form, they evolve and they get better. And then the first barrier that they must pass is achieving flight. And level two is no longer being dependent on the sun. Holy shit, that's a huge leap. Yeah, and to this life form, that's a simple step to us as humans where we are now it's taken us how long <laughs> and we're still not there yeah level three is being able to blink things in and out of existence with just a thought in essence this is mutually assured destruction so we have to figure out how to just trust all each other with the ability to undo reality reality basically yeah, yeah. if everybody had the nuclear codes <laughs> And then finally, all of these creatures become one, a singularity. And now they're just one consciousness. Able to manipulate energy, not matter. And in essence, when you get to that stage, you're a god. But the problem is, is that most things wipe itself out before it ever gets through some of those barriers. Yeah. So it's really interesting to think about this as the process of modrons like this is what they're out there doing they have these hierarchies they have monodrones that somehow figured out some 
extra level. They've gotten through this barrier and now they're duo drones and they're smarter and they're able to think higher thoughts and organize better, which became tri-drones eventually. And now they're on to Primus. Yeah. Like, that's an interesting idea. What's after Primus? What happens after they're able to make an undo reality without the need of all of the monodrones going around doing what? I guess policing law throughout the multiverse? Sure. <laughs> We're still kind of struggling with that one. Right, but like, yeah, Primus. This is just where they happen to be right now in their evolution is at Primus. So like already campaign goals could be preventing the next step of evolution because, oh, shit. What does that mean for reality? Yeah. Is the next phase, the next barrier past Primus, the one that's, is it good? Is it bad? Is it able to unmake reality at will? Right. And, you know, since if we're talking about the other inspiration for Modrons, which is the concept of law based on D&D's alignment table, these things aren't necessarily moral by any of our standards. They're not good or evil. They're just law. They're just out there to make sure that the universe keeps going tickety-boo. So that's why I think this is really powerful for anybody on the prime material plane or whatever main reality that figures out about this stuff. They're going to be curious. They're going to want to know if they need to stop this. Right. And what I love about that is that each player character is probably going to have a different opinion. Yeah. And this is where we get into the fun of some philosophical questions giving our players the ability to role play. And that's what we're here doing. We're here role playing. <laughs> Introducing these kinds of questions allows them to do that. Allows them to figure out as a group, what do we do when faced with this new information? And the last source of inspiration is really more about what they can physically do. Right, because we need to convince the players that this is a real culture and the only thing we can do is layer on some details that feel real. And that comes from ants because you can really just go on deep dive after deep dive of weird ant behavior that is so easy to apply to Modrons and just fleshes them out. One of the things that I think most applies is the fact that ants create all kinds of structures. I think it would be so cool if Modrons did that. Right. Like ants make bridges and even life rafts when it floods. They just like all grab on to one another and just stay afloat. Because yeah. they're like somewhat hydrophobic. Yeah. So they can just, yeah, they can make bridges. They can make rafts and they've been observed doing this. These rafts, I think, are really cool because they can remain in a raft formation for weeks and they kind of pick up strays as they go. <laughs> Get onto the raft <laughs> made of us. They can say, oh, it's raining hard. <laughs> Wrapped up. <laughs> Join to make form of raft. <laughs> so, you know, with Modrons, the possibilities there are endless. Like if you get into Mechanus and you pose any kind of threat, you're dealing with like a hundred story tall skyscraper Modron. Yeah, made of, of, a, of a thousand monodrones. Yeah. And we want mechanist to feel like uh what's the place that jennifer connelly goes to in labyrinth i don't know was it ever named it's just weird place with goblins <laughs> and david bowie well sure yeah i, I kind of see what you're saying but i think we want to take it one step further and say that based on that whole 3d 4d thing that we want it to feel like a totally 
confusing place where you know not only are you in a maze but like inside is out up is down (laughs) right and the building has a blinking eye that talks to you because it's one of the monodrones that is making up this current structure well we needed a building here yeah i would say you're even perceiving your allies differently like they're undulating in shape and form i think it's really cool if you make it so that players can't navigate mechanists on their own with their own senses like they need an expert guide which is probably gonna be a modron because you can't even walk in mechanists because it's the fourth dimension where legs don't work pushing off the ground isn't (laughs) the same in (laughs) mechanists i like that yeah i don't know there's this element of hive mind behavior from ants they're communicating to each other in a way that our adventures just can't quite perceive every single time an adventure needs anything in mechanus it has to be like you said at the whim of one of the modrons right and there's all kinds of really cool story threads there because a rogue modron would still have the knowledge and skills necessary to traverse mechanus i mean right there you have a great dmpc that can help explain the lore without kind of force feeding it to them you can have a way that you can show how otherworldly and strange because this is normal for the rogue modron but it's completely alien to the players right but they can still get through it as the modron guides them on a modron raft paddling (laughs) with a modron (laughs) and as the raft becomes a sphere around them and then breaks off into a million (laughs) particles of modron holy shit (laughs) so the great modron march though this one is one that i kind of struggle with we don't know why they do it it's a neat detail right and i think one thing from ants that is inspired by that great march is the ant mill or a more cool term for it is the death spiral (laughs) gnarly (laughs) when ants pick up their own pheromone trail and start walking in a circle that can get picked up by other ants who start to follow their circle, which gets picked up by other ants who start to follow their circle, which can be very I bad see. for the ants because they just start to create kind of a little vortex thing, yeah, which can get up to 1,200 feet across, which means that the ants on the outer edge take almost two and a half hours to complete a single revolution. And then they just go pretty much forever. Unless they can get out of it, which scientists have found that you can break one of these if you interfere. But left alone, these ants will march themselves to death. That's wild. So what does that mean for our great Modron march? What is that function? Is that a dysfunction? Is that a is that a way of purging some of the Modrons? What is its function within the multiverse, within the many realms? What that makes me think of something useful for my game is... You know, if a group of Modrons does branch off and create one of these death spirals that keeps getting bigger, all of a sudden, humanoids have to interfere or things are going to get really bad. Right. This is a problem that now needs to be solved. We can't just let the Modrons march through. They're they're going to engulf everything if we let this go unchecked. I could see how they approach problems on the material plane. It's a very mathematical approach. You start by sending a Modron. If that Modron doesn't return... You send three Modrons to investigate. And then if those three don't return, well, then you obviously send a nine. 
and then 30 like it just keeps going they just keep taking this very mathematical approach or this very lawful approach to problems and if they got caught up in some kind of <laughs> vortex on the the material plane then boy that's uh that's going to be a serious problem that the adventurers have to solve uh it threatens all of mechanus and it also threatens the material plane in this great modron march yeah I could even see it being like a, a tactic against Modrons if you needed it in the clutch too. Like if you can get them into a death spiral, the ones that you're fighting, right? then you get a bit of a breather. And I think that Modrons would be very casual about the death of Modrons. Like they're working toward a unified goal. They're not so worried about individual Modrons. Well, I mean, it's law. It's law that there is birth and there is death. It's a universal <laughs> law. Sometimes it just takes longer. So, yeah, I couldn't imagine that Modrons take a super emotional approach to death. It's just yeah. like, that one's gone now. Hey, next. <laughs> and especially if they're serving a purpose, because another detail of ants is that some ant colonies will seal up their entrances every night. To do this, they send out a small group of ants to bury the hole. And Ooh. then those ants, a lot of the times, are dead by morning. Yeah. When the ants dig a, dig that hole out from the inside. Peace. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for your service. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. In that mechanical function of your duties, it is a part of it to go and die sometimes. Yeah. We need to... So we've talked about all of the inspiration. We need to actually make this applicable. We need to put this into our culture creator so that we can functionally work in modrons somewhere into our campaign and without that without that culture creation without understanding what it is they're doing and why and how they behave it's gonna be really really hard right to work them in we've just created our own list of disjointed and unusable ideas <laughs> if we don't <laughs> god damn it <laughs> so we're going to use the culture creator that is available on at hookandchance.com fun fact this is an aside we're working on a character creator, a new one. We already have a character creator. We got like a character creator, a culture creator, uh, uh what else? Horror adventure Horror creator. adventure creator. We got a bunch of resources on there. If you haven't checked it out, go check it out. But we're slowly working on revamping some of these. So maybe the culture creator is next. The culture creator goes through a series of prompts that help us create a fleshed out culture. And the first section is the cultural values. The The first thing that comes to mind as far as cultural values go is that typical cultures will have leanings towards one thing or another, uh, morality or truthfulness or something. They'll, they'll lean that way, but it won't be absolute. Modrons are absolute. Right. Every member follows these cultural values. It's not just like a... You know, most of us think of it this way. <laughs> this is the cosmic Except law. Bob, he's weird. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't think that. Way. No, that that doesn't happen. It is one hundred percent. Except for the rogues. Yeah. God damn it! There goes Bob again. He went rogue. <laughs> Bob is a good name for a rogue Modron. <laughs> <laughs> and another note before we get into it is that zero morality again. Yeah. They're not dealing with that stuff. They are not on the good versus evil spectrum. It is just pure law. So the first one I think that we can use is the idea of equality. Because that's really what Flatland was about. 
that all of these ideas about classism were outdated and stupid. That right. was the moral. Yeah. And so D&D read this story of Flatland about how broken classism is and then said, the Modrons are extremely classist. It was like, <laughs> actually, what if we're all about equality at the cost of their individuality? Right. They would think that all versions, no matter what skills they had, are equal to one another and hold the same value. Their destination of reaching the next tier is the goal. It's going to happen. It wouldn't have happened without all of the previous tiers. Right. And they acknowledge that. And I like this idea because it implies that each level of Modron doesn't necessarily look down on the others, but sees their job. They have a very specific job within this grand plan. All of those jobs are required to achieve this goal. And therefore, you don't necessarily have duo drones treating the monodrones like shit all the time. Yeah. And you don't have monodrones unable to even perceive tridrones, which is part of their lore. Like they they can't even conceive. And so again, you can kind of see where they got that with Flatland, but I don't know really that it know. adds yeah. value. Yeah. yeah. Then we've got the concept of accuracy at the cost of variance. So they are focused and efficient. That's their whole deal. And then next we have the concept of accuracy at the cost of variance because Modrons are all about efficiency and doing things right. And since in the lore, the Modrons are actually clones of each other, this kind of makes sense because maybe Modrons have just figured out that that is the most efficient way to structure this organism that they have found. Right. Kind of like ants or crocodiles, they've evolved to a certain point. Like crocodiles have gotten smaller since the prehistoric era, but they haven't changed much. They kind of reached peak efficiency. The <laughs> yeah. peak design was achieved. Then we have improvement, like always trying to reach that next level at the cost of, I'd say just about everything. Like that is their primary goal. Yeah. It is all about learning and improvement of their form and their structure and trying to help Primus get another version. Yeah. So if they have identified something that they suspect has improvements that they could learn to get to the next level, like a magic item or even a specific butterfly. This is where you get into that level of oddity. That like This is the impetus behind the stuff that has already been kind of alluded to in the D&D lore, but doesn't really have a rationale or reason why. Right. But they're trying to figure out and learn new things. So if you do see a trio of monodrones walking across a material plane chasing a butterfly that's an that's a little <laughs> bit more i've got something to go on i know why now yeah we need to understand this butterfly and see if we can apply it to primus but where i think this can get really interesting is in their motivations again with no morality we as monodrones have been sent here to take apart that shopkeeper because he's interesting. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, fuck. Holy shit. You just turned into the enemy real quick. Yeah. I didn't care when you were chasing the butterfly, but <laughs> now you're trying to take apart our town because you're really interested in how the town functions because your walls haven't been invaded in 500 years. Yeah, it can get as dark as the darkest monsters. Like, oh, we're, no big deal. We're just laying out the uh, veins of a person end to end to see how long it is. 
Oh no. <laughs> we got to stop these fellas. <laughs> so that's really interesting. Improvement at the cost of anything. Yeah. And finally, I think a really important one is secrecy. And I think this is at the cost of life as well, because they don't want any disturbances to their plans whatsoever. And the world is pretty chaotic. Like the multiverse is pretty chaotic. Yeah. So they have no problem taking life on other planes to preserve their secrets. And you don't want people mucking around Mechanus. No. You don't want them to know where they came from or how to get there. Kind of like the teams in Men in Black. They're there to erase all evidence that they were there, <laughs> including murdering people and then killing themselves. Like they'll just, whatever the case may be, they just do not want how to get to Mechanus to ever be observed. Yeah, totally. That's not a bad item for them. Some kind of a MIB <laughs> memory eraser. A little flasher. <laughs> yeah. Then give them a noisy cricket. <laughs> and the next step of our culture creator is to create some beliefs that are kind of based on those values. And this is how a life form would express their values. And this makes every culture incredibly unique because we're building belief statements around each one of those values. So just a few based on the values that we've come up with, I think that could work are when all engage in the successful culmination of a goal, all hold equal value. It's kind of like logic based. Yeah, this is how they're going to interpret how your players function. You know, when the players come across them, they're going to see them as an incredibly chaotic bunch. Right. Like unless they're actually working together flawlessly, which no party ever does. I mean, this is a great way as a DM to subtly throw shade in the fiction at how <laughs> fucking chaotic your party is. Totally. They're commenting on each of these disjointed actions that they're taking. Have a team of Modrons come in and just wipe the floor with them and be, and then go, maybe if you were better organized, yeah. <laughs> you would be a better life form. So then we get into the culture backstory. If we can understand all of the details about the culture, we can roleplay it a lot easier, as opposed to all of the unknowns that we get when it comes to Modrons. Totally. So let's dive in. Uh, what environment did the culture form in? Well, I mean, within its own plane, Mechanus, probably like the first single-celled organism, until it had improved itself enough to access the other planes, which gave it access to a lot more information so that it could level itself up. The first single-celled organism, but instead of like a monodrone, it's just the eye that they all have going, <laughs> bloop, and then it's just it's just an eye in Tiny a plane of existence. Yeah. <laughs> or some fat, juicy lips. <laughs> well, that actually does go back to Flatland too, because there's one scene in which he meets a zero-dimensional being oh, which boy. is just a dot right that thinks it's the only thing that exists so when he talks to the zero-dimensional being it's like ah my own thoughts because <laughs> it doesn't can't perceive others <laughs> oh that's so good <laughs> oh i love my own weird thoughts that's the kind of like outward thinking that some of these modrons need to have just why would you have your own internal thoughts? <laughs> All right. And what existed before the culture? Well, I mean, if we're drawing off of that story of the god on a train, 
I'm thinking very similar to regular mammal human evolution. You have a whole bunch of smaller mutations, but you've got a whole bunch of monodrones all running around, kind of similar, kind of different, until they all start organizing properly and figuring out how to create the first duodrome. Right. So, yeah, they eventually become one faction after they sort out all their differences, like, hopefully humanity will do one day. Yeah, right. So, yeah, then they were able to figure out how to replicate themselves and create improvements, and therefore, yeah, the duodrone was invented with a whole set of higher purposes and higher functions. And what was a culturally defining moment of identity or independence? Hmm. We'd really like this question for the cultural backstory because it adds something that anyone can call back to. It's kind of an inspiring moment. If we're talking about a whole other plane of existence, we can throw in a fourth dimension. We can throw in all kinds of other weird access to this place because eventually they had to get out of Mechanus in order to start to improve their culture and themselves. And so they needed access to other planes of existence, which means that they find, kind of figured out how to break that plane. We're talking fourth dimensionally. They can leave Mechanus and arrive at any space on any other plane of existence in order to conduct their research. So unlike other planes where you like teleport physically somewhere else, Mechanus, yeah, it's, it's conceptually different. They can just step into another plane that's right there. Right. All right, let's keep cooking with the culture details. This is a section where we really start to create all of the little things that bring it to life. Like we've got the concepts down pretty good. Now we just need details to pepper in. And here's where we talk about stuff like what's their dream life? What's their major challenge? What's a friendly culture? What's a hostile culture? But what is a little bit different about Modrons is that kind of some of those don't apply. Right. They are pure law, so there is no friendly, there is no hostile. Everything is both friendly and hostile. You know, their major challenge is just some of the limiting factors to improve themselves. Like, it's all, we've kind of talked about it already. So let's just jump to language, because this is an interesting one. How would Modrons communicate? And what we've seen in the lore so far is that they, you know, their language is a kind of a series of beeps and clicks and words. I mean, the beeps and clicks are interesting, but I think that there's a little bit more depth and some practicality that we can add to that. So if we get into hertz, the frequency range at which you can hear sound, anywhere between 20 and 16,000 hertz, and that's what we can hear. I mean, that's kind of a limitation of our feeble human biology. <laughs> right. What if Modrons speak in a higher or even lower range and using all of that because there's there's more than just what we can perceive yeah yeah right so if they could perceive way more than that and if they had the ability to distinguish each individual hertz like if they knew a sound was 856 hertz and that was a word well not that that's just a word but even the length then you know you can start to talk about maybe a nanosecond of 865 hertz combined with three nanoseconds of 1607 hertz is that's two words yeah the result would be something else to hear you could have a one second 
sound that to human ears would just be just a quick blip. Yeah. <laughs> but they've, you know, given a speech on the direction of their evolution and where they've come from and where they're going and what it all means. And what, meanwhile, your player character's ears are bleeding because they went into <laughs> way too high a frequency range. But at the same time, I like this idea because it means that the Modrons have the capacity for speech. They can say words because that's what we're doing is just making sounds at a certain frequency range with our mouth meat. And I, I really like the fact that it's so efficient, first of all. Yeah. They're all about that. Super efficient, super short. Like you said, if a whole speech about where they've come from and where they've gone can be summarized into a one second blip of all kinds of frequency ranges, then them having to use their mouth meat to speak at a pace and a range that is tolerable to humans, that would be so infuriating. And then if you take that to the next level, if a Modron could speak common, that would be torture to them. They would have to hold each of their frequencies long enough to turn them into individual words. I feel like that'd be like us having to write a 20-page essay to express the word lunch meat in another language. Right. Let's wrap this up. Let's talk about some of their artifacts. Well, I think it'd be kind of neat to throw a unique tool in there. Number one, you're saying that MIB <laughs> little zapper. Oh, that yeah. would be great. Just a rod that beans somebody and just sucks <laughs> all memory right beans out of there. Beans somebody? You don't think it would be more advanced <laughs> than whacking them no, on the No, I love the simplicity because <laughs> that is efficient. <laughs> a memory scrambler. <laughs> knock him with the memory scrambler <laughs> real hard <laughs> okay what i was thinking about maybe something that you know is a very simple smooth steel rod because i imagine all their tools are going to be bare bones there's no flourishes or art in there right but if you strike it on one end it increases the dimensional appearance of the user i know this is conceptual if you strike wow. it on the other end it decreases the dimensional appearance of the user so if you click it you can go 2D and it increases your stealth, essentially. You become flat. <laughs> you can interesting go through cracks. You can do whatever you want to do with that. Okay. And if you go 4D, perceive and interact with anything within, you know, 100 feet. Well, you could, like your example before, you could walk through walls without a problem. Yeah. You could pluck something out of a safe without a problem. Of course, if players got their hands on this, I would put some pretty heavy limits on it. But I think it'd be pretty cool for Modrons to be able to use this, you know, at will. I like it. I think there'd even be a danger of, you know, going too low or too high, like decreasing to one dimension, becoming a line means you can't even click it anymore. You're just a line. Right. <laughs> you can't gone. interact with that three dimensional rod. Yeah. I think uh, some symbols that Modrons could use in their culture would really add a lot of detail. A good symbol could be a diamond shape. Because I was learning that in modal logic, it's a symbol for, it is possible that. Hmm. Which I think to Modrons represents the possibilities of their self-propelled evolution. Nothing is impossible. Right. Yeah. They're, they're achieving some other level of existence. Yeah. And they've come from nothing. Which, I don't know, if you think about it, is a very positive statement. Yeah. Like, like if inspiring. you think about us as, you know, mammals... 
we've done some pretty incredible things throughout our relatively short existence on this blue marble. And I love that. It's it's possible that. <laughs> There's something you fill in the blank. Very cool about that. Yeah. I could see it like on any buildings in Mechanus or any of the structures, whatever. It's on all of the motivational posters in every cubicle. <laughs> There's all kinds of posters and they're all just a diamond in Mechanus. <laughs> <laughs> and a bad symbol could be the Borbaki Dangerous Bend symbol. And I know those words might not mean anything to you, but it's basically just the shape of a, a Z. Yeah. Which in math is sometimes used in the margin to forewarn readers against serious errors where they might risk failing or to mark a passage that is tricky on the first reading because an especially subtle argument is laced in there. So I could just see them kind of marking all kinds of other planes and places within planes with this symbol. Well, this is a great way to introduce or to like foreshadow or forewarn our players that there are Modrons about because they've marked Zed on some building somewhere and the players are starting to see this marking come up. Why are we seeing traps that we haven't found yet pre-marked with a Z? <laughs> what the hell is going on? Only to introduce Modrons in a few uh, a few more sessions. Yeah. Marking a, a Z on another building. Or even coming into, into towns like, oh, this place is full of chaos. <laughs> Zed. Big old Z on the road. <laughs> We usually will talk about an animal, and I struggled with this one for a <laughs> no little doubt. while. Yeah. What animal would the Modrons see as, what would they keep? And kind of in staying with that really perplexing kind of behavior, just a cube. <laughs> they just <laughs> have a cube. And if the players are to ever peer or ask about what makes them happy, they just introduce their cube and say how cute their cube is. Look at this cube. It doesn't have any markings. It's a clean, perfectly untouched cube. Yeah, they give it a little polish. Yeah. Look at the angles on this bad boy. <laughs> Look at it's it's both pet and like precious item. Yeah. I like that. I mean you could yeah, you could do different shapes if you wanted to, but yeah, I love the simplicity of the just... kind of horror that would befall you if you ever fucked up. A Modron's yes. cube. Oh my god. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you actually see whatever passes for emotion in a Modron. Right. <laughs> <laughs> or then there's a quest for you. Replace the cube. <laughs> What's it made of? What is it? <laughs> we really got some work to do. And the the corners are never perfect. This one has a little ding on it. It's not like the cube. Yeah. Well, this leads us to the final piece, which is kind of coming up with some phrases if we're going to role play modrons we need to give them shit to say because that's a huge part of any creature and modrons are are particularly special in this sense is that they're not going to just walk up and say hey how's it going guys what you been up to this is one of my beefs with the way that stat blocks are written for monsters and other cultures is a cr really quick and easy way to make a culture feel unique is to think about these things gestures, greetings, how they say thank you, all of those things, if you put five minutes of thought into them, are going to make a culture feel unique. So distinguished all of a sudden. As opposed to a, just another random NPC that you've had to ham fist into your campaign. Yeah. 
So let's start with a phrase that kind of conveys their their thoughts or their their culture in one go. And I thought simply to encapsulate all of that, precision is law, law is peace, a peaceful existence. Nice. Things run smoothly. Yeah. If you have law and precision. <laughs> but like we need to dive in to how modrons sound so again the first time they say this to the npcs this is just a series well hold on because i think we can actually do this there's some online tools that can help us (laughs) so a modron without modifying itself might sound something like this but like we talked about, um, Modron has to slow its speech down in order to speak common for those dumb monkeys to understand. <laughs> so actually, if you go to voicegenerator.io, I played around with this a little bit. I think the Netherlands accent, and if you speed it up a little bit and play with the pitch for different types of Modrons, you can actually get something approximate to something that sounds very kind of mechanical and also fast and crazy and like hard to understand, but easy to understand for the players. So you could actually type in quickly Modron lines and then just hit play and you've got a talking Modron. The very weirdest and unexpected D&D tool, <laughs> voicegenerator.io, <laughs> accented voices. Yeah, only useful in this one particular circumstance. <laughs> but let's do that line one more time in the Modron speech. Precision is low, low is peace, a peaceful existence. And another Modron. Precision is low, low is peace, a peaceful existence. Well, there you have it. All right. Getting weird. Yeah. So let's get into some greetings. This one, I don't know if they would actually have one, for, especially for, you know, humanoid NPCs. I could see it just being brief, extreme alarm sounds because they don't typically want to interact with non-Modrons. <laughs> <laughs> A greeting is being forced into communicating with you. Right. Yeah. Like, ah, oh, shit. I don't want <laughs> yes. to plan to do this today. Almost a quick curse. Yeah. But we actually did come up with some for the other prompts. So, thanks. You are a conduit. You are a conduit. Hmm. Interesting. It's like you're you're a source of flowing information. Ooh, That's a good thing to them. There we go. Yes. That's what conduit is, right? Yeah. You're yeah. a conduit for my knowledge. Yeah. Uh, positive. Curiosity strikes. It's like uh, the d- seize the day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, to them, curiosity is the pursuit of more knowledge. That's yeah. the whole purpose. Yeah. Good times. Negative? You got a negative one? Your imprecision is vexing. Your imprecision is vexing. And how about a goodbye? Find the pattern. Find the pattern. They see everything as patterns. I was doing a little digging on how to think more mathematically. Okay. And, you know, mathematicians, they are trained to see the patterns in everything. Right. Yeah. Makes sense to me. There you go. Next time you put Modrons in your game, you can really mess with your players with that voice generator. Have fun. Well, we hope that that was helpful. We hope that you got something from how to work Modrons into a campaign. 
you know, we talked about how they erase all evidence of themselves so you can slot them in anywhere. We talked about their goals of self-improvement and how each iteration of Modron is actually uh, a long period of their self-development and they created that next level. We gave them a reason to be on the material plane and, and a rationale for why they're doing all of the weird things that they're doing. We gave a little bit of actual detail on how it is to navigate Mechanus and why it's very difficult to actually go around and interact with things there. And potentially why you would want to go there to get another place very, very quickly with your Modron guide. Right. You could traverse any location in the plains super quickly if you just get a little guide to Mechanus. And we got some guidance on how to roleplay an infinitely alien, lawful creature. Really, it all boils down to how they think and how they act. So hopefully that helps. If you have uh, an application that you found with this episode in your game, if this helped you actually run some Modrons, we would love to hear about it. I mean, you can drop a comment on either the YouTube or... Uh, the YouTube, like I'm 60. <laughs> the YouTubes. What's this YouTube's all about? <laughs> Give us a holler on Discord. Come and join the conversations that are happening there. Yeah, and add to it. Tell us what weird Modron shenanigans you got up to. We wouldn't be anywhere with this episode. In fact, we were both very hesitant to go into Modrons because, I mean, this has been a long-standing option that was originally requested i would guess probably about two years ago <laughs> when one of our like our very first patron will hp uh when he was like hey i love modrons you should do an episode on modrons we were like fuck that we are not <laughs> touching modrons those stupid weird-eyed uh goofy biomechanical creatures not happening and once we sat on it for long enough, we got to the point where we're actually doing another episode on Modrons in our next episode, which is going to be about how they tactically fight, what their abilities could be, and all kinds of fun stuff in that vein. Because if you haven't checked out the stat block for Modrons recently, if we've talked about everything that we've <laughs> talked about in this episode, it makes... Not a goddamn lick of sense that they use a spear. Yeah, we'll go on a whole rant about that next time. Holy Calm shit. Calm down, Travis. We're wrapping this one up, uh, not okay. starting another one. All right. <laughs> uh, and a huge thank you to the producers, a.k.a. our patrons, that came to the original chat about Modrons and the problems that we have with Modrons and how we could potentially fix them. Thank you very much to our contributors, Lila, Leprechaun, and Dangerous Marmalade that all showed up to the, the Patreon chat to chat about how what, what we could do with this episode. So thank you, our wonderful producers. And welcome to two new patrons, First Law and Blackthorn. Thank you so much for joining us and for making this possible. And thank you to Victoria O., Peacock Dreams, DM Thunderbum, Marley R, Gar the Pirate, Time Warp, Dangerous Marmalade, Zach G, No Ma'am, Michelle T, Alan E, Felix R, Chris F, The Senate, Lucas D, Lila G, The GM Tim, Thomas W, Tyler G, Ty N, Heavy Arms, Eric R, Aldross, Leprechaun, and Will HP. You're all fabulous, folks. 
Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join the awesome community of players and DMs that are always swapping ideas and getting each other's help by joining our Discord. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and always take games. care of your cube. <laughs> <laughs> Is that about my cube? <laughs>